privilege to have uh, Jamie Howell with us from Grace Baptist down in Taylors, South Carolina. Uh, Jamie and I have known each other for years, but I uh, were encouraged to have this opportunity to uh, have him up uh, the mountain. And life is busy, as you know, for pastors. And so uh, it was great uh, several months back to be able to work this out. Uh, we tried for the beginning of the month and, and were able to uh, secure this date uh, amidst Jamie's busy schedule. So we're glad to have him as we uh, love having other network pastors. It, it aids our fellowship uh, in communication, what God's doing in the churches, but also a camaraderie in the gospel and what he is doing um, both here and around the world. Uh, Jamie and his uh, wife Lydia are with us and a, a great crowd from Grace. Why don't you just raise your hand if you came uh, from Grace this morning or, or you know Jamie in some personal way. His sister's here as well. So we have a great uh, crowd of folks here up front. So make sure you greet them and um, wish them uh, well on this uh, beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, with that said, Jamie, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, thank you, brother, for being here. Thank you, Scott. I uh, to clarify, none of my friends here are from my church. Uh, they're uh, six college friends, uh, three guys that uh, we were all put in a freshman Bible study together. And um, that was back in 77. We were in each other's weddings, roomed together, and uh, having a little reunion weekend this weekend. I'm very thankful for that, that you guys were able to come over. We were at Beach Mountain all weekend. And my sister who works at uh, Samaritan's Purse, Lisa Howell, uh, and so she lives in Boone, and we're very thankful. Lisa and two of her friends the, who were serving together in the IMB uh, over, y'all were in Thailand, right? Yes, to serve with Lisa in Thailand years ago. So thank you guys for coming, and uh, we look forward to uh, what the Lord will do for us as we study his word together. I, uh, I have to say, you have a tremendous and glorious privilege of getting up in the mornings and seeing sunrises in ways we don't see them uh, where I'm from. And uh, driving down Beach Mountain this morning and watching that red sun come up over the ridge was just really, really glorious. Uh, makes me want to become a morning person. Uh, but uh, anyhow, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. I've been preaching through the book of Hebrews, and, uh, and this is a message that uh, I believe the Lord uh, really laid on my heart strongly. Um, I understand you, that Pastor Scott has been preaching through Genesis and was at Genesis 22 last week where Isaac, uh, where, where the Lord called Abraham to be willing to lay Isaac on the altar and uh, at the very last moment uh, provided the ram in the thicket. But Abraham had to trust the Lord in ways that were really defy anything uh, that you and I might ever have to think about. Uh, and so, in that context, I want us to, with that in mind, I want us to, to, to read these, these words. Now, in Hebrews 6, it's a very strong challenge and warning about falling away because that's one of the themes in the book of Hebrews. And as he reaches toward the end of the chapter, he says, but I have better things in mind for you. I, I believe better things uh, about you, that you are uh, truly believers. And so, picking up at verse 11, encouraging them to persevere. Verse Hebrews 6, 11, he says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having, having patiently waited, obtain the promise. Would you bow with me as we pray? Lord, teach us what faith means and what patience means. Teach us what it means to wait on you because you are 
always faithful. Help us, Lord, this morning by your Spirit. Help me to proclaim your word and help each person here to receive it, that you might draw us closer to you and bring honor to our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin my message this morning with a confession. About 15 years ago, I was sitting in church. I was not preaching at the time. Uh, the man who was pastor at the time uh, was preaching from this very text. And he came to the word in uh, verse 12 where he spoke of faith and patience and something clicked in my brain. Uh, my curiosity got the better of me. Now, I'm not recommending that you do this, what I did. But I got out my Bible app and I, because there's actually two words in the Greek text that mean patience. And I wanted to know which word was there in Hebrews chapter 6. Because they both have a distinct meaning. So I opened up my Bible app and I, I looked at this text. And to be honest with you, I'm not really sure how much else I heard in that sermon that day because something unusual was happening in my own heart. Uh, and what I discovered really made a profound impact on my life. Now, I'm not recommending you follow that example. I want you to pay attention to the Word as it's preached because we do pray and prepare and, and uh, ask the Lord to, to take His Word. But at times He does uh, unusual things through His Word, and uh, He certainly did that morning. He used His Word to accomplish something that the pastor didn't envision and I didn't envision. So the title of my message this morning is Faith and Patience. Now I want us to focus our attention on those two vital characteristics. In verse 12, we want you not to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's an interplay between those two terms, faith and patience. And so I want us to see how they inform and how they uh, inspire our journey through the Christian life. Now, one of the key themes in the book of Hebrews is perseverance. These Jewish believers were, uh, were, were struggling with the, the, the cost of discipleship, of, with the burden of bearing the cross. And some were wondering if it's really worth it. Some were tempted to go back to their Jewish roots. And so the writer of Hebrews is calling on them to persevere, to endure to the very end. And here he says, I want you to be uh, imitators of those Old Testament saints who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And of course, he specifically mentions Abraham in the following verses. Now, I'm currently preaching through Hebrews 11, which we often call the hall of faith. And it highlights the faith of these Old Testament saints who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're called to emulate their faith. So I have three very simple points. First of all, let us emulate the faith of the saints in glory. Secondly, let us emulate the patience of the saints in glory. And then thirdly, uh, there's a vital connection between faith and patience. I want us to see what that is. So first of all, let us emulate the faith of those saints who are in glory. What is faith? Well, we read Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's a hope not based on our desires. I hope my team wins. I hope the girl agrees to go out with me. I hope we have children. I hope my children grow up to uh, do us proud. We hope a lot of things. 
But the biblical term of hope is a confident expectation in what God has promised. It's, it's, it's a hope, it's a faith, it's a confidence that what God has promised, that God is true, his word is true, his promises are true. So God is always faithful. You may not be able to see it, you may not feel it. You may find yourself crying, Lord, why have you abandoned me? Like David did at various times and other psalmists did as well. Because there are times that it feels like these promises may not happen. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I want to draw a distinction here. There's a difference between saving faith and living faith. This is Reformation weekend. Uh, where churches around the world celebrate that event 506 years ago when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses uh, objections to uh, the Roman Catholic works system to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. That's, it was like a bulletin board. That's how they put out their invitation for debate. And that sparked a reformation he never anticipated. <clears throat> and in that reformation, there was a, 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 a flame of fire of rediscovery of this truth of justification by grace through faith. Saving faith is that trust, that, that, that relying upon the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his resurrection, of his righteousness. It's the application of John 3.16, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. It's trusting Jesus for our salvation, saving faith. And it's not a one-time, uh, it's a one-time, justification is a one-time event, but we continue to trust him throughout our lives for our salvation. But there's another aspect of faith. I call it living faith. It is that daily casting ourselves upon the Lord Jesus. It goes beyond believing simply the promise of salvation to believing the promises of provision, the promises of God's presence, the promise of God's comfort, those promises that God is with us all the time. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw uh, near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's a believing he exists. God is here and everything the Bible says about him is true. And he rewards those who seek him. If I will trust in him uh, and cast myself upon these promises, I will see that in fact, he is faithful to his word. And so we live in light of the promises of God. For instance, in Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Remember the context. The pagans are all worried about all the things that they need for this life. It's not salvation they're worried about. It's what will I eat and drink and wear and who's going to love me and all those sorts of things. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that. God knows what you need before you even ask. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Or in Hebrews 11, or excuse me, 13 verse 5, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise of his presence. It's been said, I, I, I've never counted, but it's been said that 365 times the Lord tells us in his word, do not fear. And he never says, do not fear, you little coward. Do not fear, what's your problem? He says, do not fear, for I'm with you. It's like, you don't need to be afraid, because I'm with you. It's a reassuring promise. In Isaiah 41.10, we see that. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, don't need to be afraid. I'm with you, and look what I'll do to sustain you. 
living faith lives upon those realities, upon those promises, whether you can see them or not, whether you feel it or not. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks of the incredible suffering he endured for the sake of the kingdom. He spoke of being crushed but not destroyed. Talked about the, the, the heavy weight of not just the ministry but the persecution he endured. And then he makes this statement, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, if you and I went through some of the things Paul went through, we would not consider those afflictions light or momentary. But Paul says, put it in perspective. Put it in the perspective of eternal glory. It's light and it is momentary. And it absolutely does not compare. And so living faith holds on to these promises and it lives in light of them. It regards them as true even when you cannot see them, even when you cannot feel it. Even though all appearances to your life says, God has abandoned me. These things must not be true. Even though the enemy says, he isn't with you. He's not going to provide for you. Faith holds on to every promise of his word. Now, there are promises that are conditional, like Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Don't need to be afraid to be a faithful Christian. God will provide for you. All right? But it's important we recognize that the key here is not how much faith you have. Do I have enough faith to pull this off? Do I have enough faith to really do what God would say? Do I have enough faith to receive the fulfillment of that promise? That's not the issue. The issue is how faithful is the one you have put your hope and your trust in? Is God faithful to his word? If you believe it, that's faith. It's no longer about your ability to trust. It's about his faithfulness to keep his promise. So we are to walk by faith, not by sight. We're to walk by faith, not by our feelings. And that is a trust that gives our lives stability and security. It enables us to persevere. It enables us to live with earnest and confident hope. You know, Abraham had a promise from God. We read here in verse 14, God said, surely by my own name, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, again, I know Pastor Scott has been preaching on these very passages. You recall that God called Abraham to leave his homeland, Ur, the Chaldees, and go to a place he'd never been before. Now, <clears throat> I went to my friend's house on Beach Mountain the other day, <laughs> and I told Dave when I got there, if you had simply said, here's the map and here's directions, I might not be here yet. Uh, but that GPS is a wonderful little thing. They didn't have, he didn't have GPS, he didn't have a map. And he didn't have a pillar of fire or cloud like the children of Israel did coming back from Egypt. He simply had God leading him however that happened, we don't know. But the Lord took him to that land. And yet he was not allowed to build a city. He wasn't even allowed to build a house. He lived in tents the whole life. He said, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you a, 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 a heritage, a family, larger, uh, more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. And 25 years later, they have no children. And I'm sure there were many times the enemy came and said, Abraham, I think you missed it. Abraham, did you really hear God right? 
Did God really say, isn't that what he said to Eve? Isn't that what he says to you? He says it to me. Did God really say? Trying to sow those doubts and the uncertainties in our minds. But Abraham continued to believe the promise of God. Did he believe it perfectly? No, we have that little Hagar-Ishmael incident, right? And the grace of God, Hebrews overlooks that entirely and commends his faith and doesn't mention his failure. But David also had a promise of God. Remember, Samuel comes and he anoints David and says, you're going to be the new king of Israel. And amazingly, David then is brought into the king's court. He, he is used to slay the giant Goliath and he's uh, brought into the king's court. And he becomes one of Saul's mighty men, one of his great military leaders. Until Saul realizes that, wait a minute, David's going to get my throne, not my son Jonathan. I don't like that. And then David had to run, like, run for his life. Year after year after year, the anointed king running for his life from the king whom God had called him to replace. And yet he continued to trust God. In fact, on two occasions, he had the opportunity to take Saul's life. He was there asleep, and David was standing over him with his weapon. And he said, far be it from me to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. This is God's business, not mine. That's amazing. In Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34, we read these words. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Samson? Are you kidding? That encourages me. Because we all have failures, don't we? God overlooks that in Hebrews 11 and celebrates our faith. Gideon was a problem at first. Lord, I'm not sure I can believe you here. You need to, you need to give me some signs. You know, the, the fleece, don't ever lay out a fleece. That was an indication of his unbelief. Did you know that? Go back and check it out. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. That was Daniel, who's not actually mentioned here, but that's okay. Quenched the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. That was Samson, who brought down the Philistine idolatrous temple at the very end of his life, having had his strength taken from him became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. These all, they lived by faith. They believed that God was faithful to his promise. They lived boldly. They lived obediently. They accomplished exploits in the name of their God. And brothers, you and I are called here to be imitators of their faith and their patience. We're called to emulate the faith of our fathers. First of all, their faith, but secondly, we need to emulate the patience of the saints who are in glory. Now, as I said earlier, I, I, I knew there were two different words that mean patience and, or, or excuse me, patience, and I, I thought, I, I need to know which one. I can't wait till I get home. And so I sat there in church and I, I figured this out. The first word, the most common one, is, is hupomone. Hupo, you know what a hypodermic needle is? It's a needle that goes under your skin, right? Hupo is under. Monet means to remain. It's remaining under difficult circumstances. It's the word that's always used for perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. It's remaining under difficult circumstances. And over and over, Hebrews calls us to this perseverance, this endurance, this steadfastness. And in the New Testament, that word is applied exclusively to difficult circumstances. That's an important point. 
In Romans 5, verse 3, that says that suffering produces endurance, hupomone. James 1, verse 3 says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, very same word. So there's a link here between endurance or steadfastness and faith. Faith enables us to endure, to persevere. But that's not the word that we find here in Hebrews chapter 6. When we don't endure, when we don't persevere, it's because our faith has really failed. We're not trusting the Lord to give us what we need to endure or to persevere. But again, that's not what we find here in this verse. What we find here is a word macro through me. Now, kids, you know what macro means? Macro means big, right? right? Anybody here have a thermos? Have a thermos to keep things hot? So macrothumia is literally a long boiling point. In other words, you can endure for a very long time, long suffering. You don't melt down and you don't give up. And that word, this is what's significant now, it's applied exclusively to dealing with difficult people. Think about that. God is never described with the word hupomone. Why would that be? Because there are no circumstances that are difficult for God, right? But God is rich in his long suffering. He endures with us because we're difficult sometimes. He is rich in his long suffering. Well, we're told to emulate the faith and the macrothumia long suffering of the saints, Old Testament saints who are in glory. And I sat there and started thinking about that. What does that mean? Well, here, here's what I discovered, both in verse 12, but then again in 15. In verse 15, thus Abraham, having patiently waited, waiting with macrothumia, long suffering. Why is that so significant? Well, I had to go back and say, wait, who was he being patient with? Who was it that Abraham was having to be patient with that he's commended so that by exercising that long suffering with a difficult person, people, whatever, he inherits a promise? How would you answer that question? Now, it's really important. This is an important principle of understanding God's word. Context is king. Context is king. You look in the text. What's the context tell us? That tells us how that word is used. It helps us understand what it means. And in that context, we read a faith and patience. Who is the faith in? That's not a hard question. He's trusting in God. God's the one who made the promises. He's trusting in God to fulfill the promise. Easy peasy, right? Who's he having to be patient with? Let's go back again. Who made the promises? God. Who is taking a really long time to fulfill those promises? God. Now, we might say that whole Ishmael-Hagar incident was a lack of faith and a lack of patience with God. And the Lord sort of, in his grace, doesn't mention that because ultimately Abraham did wait on the Lord. But patience here is about waiting on God in faith. I can remember as a young Christian hearing about, you just need to wait on the Lord. I didn't know what it meant to wait on the Lord. So I'd go into my prayer closet and I'd, I'd wait for God to arrive and show up and bless me in some, it really was more like transcendental meditation than biblical, <laughs> biblical prayer. A funny thing, the Lord never showed up. Nothing ever happened. I walked up frustrated because I didn't understand what it means to wait 
on the Lord. We're called to emulate the faith of the saints in glory. They trusted in God. They believed his word is truth. They lived like it. And we're called to emulate that faith and that patience. They patiently waited for the Lord to fulfill his promises. And even though in some cases it took a really long time, David had to endure running for his life and living in a cave, being pursued like a dying dog when he knew he was the Lord's anointed. That took faith, but it also took patience. Not just patience with Saul, patience with God. If you read Hebrews 11 very closely, the hall of faith, what you'll find here is men and women who waited on the Lord. The proof of their faith is they patiently waited for God to fulfill his promises. That is kind of radical if you think about it. You just need to be patient with God. How many of y'all remember, if you're my age, you remember those bumper stickers that said, please be patient, God is not through with me yet? You remember those? Right? It's, it's like God is saying, please be patient, I am not through with you yet. Do you ever think, I need to be patient with the Lord? Not because he's trying you in some sinful way, not because he's doing anything wrong, but he's promising us something that is so glorious and so beyond our comprehension, and then we wait, and we wait. And he says, be patient, be patient. God never does anything wrong. We have to be patient when people who do things wrong. God doesn't do anything wrong. But he puts us in situations oftentimes that are difficult. Kids, you ever, you ever go on a trip with mom and dad and you're in the car and what's the question you're tempted to ask 37 times? Are we there yet, right? Now, your dad has said, uh, it's gonna take a while. It's going to have to take a while. You're going to need to be what? Patient. You're going to need to trust me that I know the best way to get from here to there and be patient that we'll get you there safely and in good order and a good time. And you're sitting there, you're uncomfortable, you want to run around, you might have to go to the bathroom, you're getting irritated by your brother or sister, and you just want to get there. And you have to be, you have to endure the difficulty of the circumstance but you need to be patient with your dad and your mom who put you in the car, strapped you in that seat and said, we'll be there in a while. And you can't look at mom and dad and say, how dare you do this to me, right? You have to be patient even though it's difficult, not because they've done anything wrong. They're doing something wonderful, taking you to wherever you're going, but it just takes time. In the very same way, God never does wrong He's always perfect, he's always loving, and he's always on time in his timetable. His timetable is different from ours, though. He makes these glorious promises. And then sometimes it just seems like it takes a really long time for those promises to be fulfilled. Sometimes it may feel like maybe he's even forgotten me. Waiting patiently is difficult. It just is. We walk by faith, not by sight. We wait patiently, even though we feel this sense of rising up in us. How long are we there yet? We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. There are numerous times David expresses this, this angst of impatience. In Psalm verse 13, David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, we know God never forgets his child. But it sure felt like it for David. It seemed to him for a time like God had forgotten him. And by all appearances, David did feel abandoned by God. We can go through times 
of spiritual dryness. We can go through times that seems like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. We can go through times that feel like God has abandoned us, yet he never does. He may withhold a sense of his favorable presence for a time, but he never leaves you nor forsakes you. He wants you to learn to wait patiently and trust him and walk by faith, not by sight. So we're called to emulate the faith of the saints in glory. We're called to emulate the patience of the saints in glory, but there's a vital connection between the, uh, the faith and, and patience in this, this concept, this, this, this idea of waiting on the Lord. It, it's, a, it's a very frequent theme in God's Word. In Psalm 27, David's under attack, and he starts out by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then throughout the psalm, he is expressing his confidence in the Lord, and he's praying for deliverance. He's praying for protection from his enemies, and he determines, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. And then he says toward the end, in verse 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. That's an expression of faith, but hear this. In verse 14, he then turns to others and calls us to patience. He says, wait for the Lord. I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Now, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we see this call of faith and patience. Back to Psalm 13. Dave is struggling with being patient with the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Will you, uh, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David is not having a good day, is he? Faith and patience are very hard for him to come by at this moment. He's been afflicted. He's been pursued by his enemy. It could be Saul. It could be some other affliction or, or trial at the time. He cries out for God, would you be my deliverer? Would you be my refuge? And it seems like God is silent. It feels to him like God has forgotten him. So, and, and please notice this. This is so important. David was a mature, godly man. He was a mature saint, tried in many ways, proven in many ways, and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write, how long will you forget me? Why is that important? Because when you and I go through those times where it feels like God has forget, forgotten you, we can realize, hey, wait a minute. This is not abnormal. This is part and parcel of what Christians go through. I'm not off the charts somewhere. I, I, I see myself right here in this text. Maybe I'm okay after all. There are seven, at least seven psalms where we find the psalmist crying out, how long, O Lord? It's not easy to be patient with God. We continue reading in Psalm 13, verse 3 and 4, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David is saying, this is a desperate situation I'm in. God, why are you taking so long? Please hurry up. If you don't answer soon, my enemy is going to prevail over me. And then he turns, he pivots to faith. And patience, he says in verse 5, but I have 
trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He affirms his faith in God. Even though he can't see it, he can't feel it, he knows who God is. He knows what his God is like. And he says, I just have to wait for the Lord to restore my fortunes, my joy. He looks to the past. He says, I, I've trusted in your steadfast love and you've been faithful. He looks to the future and says, I will rejoice once again. And God's faithfulness in the past fuels our faith in God for the future. And that enables us to be patient with God. Do you see the interplay between faith and patience? And over and over, the psalmist instructs us, wait on the Lord with faith and with patience. And God uses these times of waiting, in fact, to even build our faith. The Bible describes times of waiting for many saints in the Old Testament. I've already mentioned Abraham. Remember, Abraham and Sarah were not able to have a child for so many years. Childlessness is a recurring theme in the Bible. Some of you here may have experienced that in the past, or maybe you're in that challenge challenging situation right now where you've prayed. Maybe you've even sought medical help. And it seems like month after month after month, you have another funeral that nobody comes to. Your heart is disappointed again and again and again. And it seems like God is not hearing you. He's forgotten you. Sarah felt it. Rebecca felt it. Rachel felt it. Samson's mother, Hannah, felt it. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, experienced that. And they all had to wait patiently. Now, there's no promise for any of us. Now, Sarah had a promise. We don't have that promise that, in fact, God will actually give you a child. We have a promise that God will give us everything that we need, all that we need for life and godliness. We know that. There's no promise of those specific things that our hearts long for in this life. But we wait to see God show himself faithful. David, as I said earlier, David was anointed to be the king of Israel, and yet he had to run for his life for a number of years, waiting patiently on the Lord to fulfill that promise very specifically made to him. Joseph, you remember Joseph? He had this dream. I believe it was from the Lord that his brothers and even his father and mother were going to bow down to him. Sounds kind of arrogant. Well, I think Joseph unwisely shared it with his brothers. But the Lord is actually telling him something that's going to happen. And so he sold them into slavery. And they got falsely accused and ended up in prison. And through some amazing providences, he ends up becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt in charge of food, storage, and distribution. And in time, his brothers are bowing down to him, seeking food. But the operative phrase that sustains Joseph through that time is the Lord was with him. Do you think there were days that he didn't feel like the Lord was with him? He just had to wait. He had to believe. He had to trust. And God showed himself faithful. Remember Job? There's no one like Job. He fears God. He shuns evil. And then in this cosmic test, Satan is saying, Job only fears you because you give him all the goodies. You take all the goodies away, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord allows Job, put him through the trials, and you'll see. And Job is afflicted unlike any of us probably could ever imagine. 
And quite frankly, there are times when Job's patience sort of wears thin and God rebukes him for that. Will you condemn me in order to justify yourself? Job, you, 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 you dress yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. You're going to answer me. And yet Job did trust the Lord. Job did remain steadfast. He waited on God. Now, he had to repent of that impatience, but he also, it, it, was, it wasn't pure and perfect, was it? But it was there. And the Lord restored Job double all he had lost. Are you in a holding pattern? Have you ever found yourself in a holding pattern? You know what I mean by that? If, if, if you've ever flown in a plane and, and, and as the plane arrives near the airport, it's just a lot going on and the, 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 there's too much traffic either on the ground or in the air and you can't land yet. And so the plane just starts circling the airport in a holding pattern. And you're going, man, we've been here for a while. When are we going to land this thing? We're in a holding pattern. It just feels like However long the flight was, it feels like that holding pattern lasts uh, way longer than you'd have hoped. And you're sitting there going, I've got friends on the ground. I've got places to go. I've got things I need to do. And we're in a holding pattern. We all find ourselves in similar circumstances. Maybe it's trials or afflictions. Trial of illness or injury that comes upon you. Longing to have a child or to be married. And there's this not yet. And you don't have a promise if it will ever happen, like Sarah did, but we have the promise of God's grace and God's help and God's contentment. Maybe you've lost a job and the bills are piling up and you're just praying and you're applying and doing everything you can and yet it just seems like my life is in limbo, I'm on hold. Or maybe you've experienced depression Talked to a lot of people who've been depressed. And the number one question I get, the number one fear that I hear expressed by people who are deep depression is, I'm afraid this will never end. This is going to be my lot for the rest of my life. And that battle to believe the Lord and wait patiently for Him can become intense. Or again, maybe it's a time of spiritual dryness. And it just seems like God has left you for a time. Here's a really important biblical principle. In Psalm 39, the psalmist is, is it's, another, it's a psalm of lament that David writes, and he says in verse 7, And now, O Lord, what, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Hear this. What am I waiting for? My hope is in the Lord. So whether you're waiting for relief or healing, or marriage, or a child, or deliverance, or a job, or whatever you're waiting for, you're really waiting on the Lord. If your focus is where it ought to be, yes, you're waiting for those things to happen, but ultimately you're waiting for God to bring and deliver. You're waiting for God to show himself faithful. You're waiting for God to restore your hope and your joy. So we must be patient with God. We must trust in his faithfulness and his timing. We must live between that already of what God has already done for us and the not yet of what he has promised. Jesus has already come. He's given us eternal life. He's given us a promise of heaven. He's going to return. He's going to make all things new, and that will be glorious. But we're not there yet, are we? He hasn't come back yet. Our hearts are longing to see his face. But we don't see that glory. And so we have to believe it, and we have to wait 
patiently. We live in this instant microwave age. We're not used to waiting. We don't like to wait. If you're familiar with the, the, the movie Princess Bride, you remember Inigo and Toya going, I hate waiting. We don't like it. Are you in a holding pattern? Is there something important in your life you're waiting for? Are you finding it hard to be patient? Are there circumstances that are trying your patience, not just with people, but being patient with the Lord? Are you struggling with things like fear or anxiety or worry or anger or just exhaustion and you don't think you can take it anymore? By the way, God's Word says that no temptations overcome you but common man. And God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able with a temptation, he'll provide a way of escape so you can stand under it, stand up under it. So it's not really biblical to say, I can't do this, because God says you can. But it's not very helpful to simply say, well, God says you can do it. It is helpful to say, I have never been here before. And Lord, there's no way I can possibly do this unless you help me. That's an expression of faith. And all your waiting, turn to Psalm 37, 9 and say, and what, for what am I waiting for? My hope is in you. God is calling you to learn, to wait patiently for him, to move, to deliver, to provide, to instruct, to, uh, in whatever area of life you need the Lord to fulfill his promise for you, you're waiting. So I'd encourage you, look to him, place your hope, your trust in him. Now, I want to make an important distinction here. They inherited the promises. That doesn't mean that you can name it and claim it, all right? There are those who, you know, uh, we name it and claim it, right? Uh, if that were true, I would have named and claimed that my son, 33 years ago born, would be completely healed from brain injury experienced at birth. But now at 33, he has quadriplegia and he's profoundly mentally disabled. And I'm waiting for glory when Jonathan will walk and leap and praise the Lord. But we have to wait in faith because it's not going to happen in this life or we have no, no clear reason to believe, no promise that it's going to happen in this life. We long, my wife and I longed for seven years to have children and ended up adopting our first and then Jonathan was born. He, in his grace, God did give us three children, two by adoption and one by natural birth and Jonathan's birth was very difficult. And we had to learn to wait patiently on the Lord. We didn't know what God was going to give us. There was no promise, you will have a child. And so we go back to the scriptures and look at promises like in John 14, Jesus is my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives peace do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our hearts were troubled, we were afraid. We were discouraged. We were worn out. And the Lord says, I'm giving you peace. And there's a place we just have to believe him and we have to wait. And we learn that. Not through the easy times, but through the challenging times. Philippians 4, God says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your request made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. We didn't experience that peace. 
Go down a few verses in Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's the context there? Context is king. It was being content in circumstances that were not favorable. Well, we didn't have contentment either. But we had to go back and believe. What, and, and, and what are we trusting God for? What did he promise us? Not that we'd get what we want, but that we'd get what we need. So it's time to wait. And if we're going to wait patiently for the Lord, if we're going to trust and or set our hearts on his promise, we do need to be clear on what it is he has promised and not simply try the name it and claim it route because you'll always be disappointed. The thing that shocks me, I've had the privilege of doing some ministry in India. The thing that shocks me is how prevalent the prosperity gospel is in India. Pastors telling people, if you just trust Jesus, he'll make you healthy and wealthy. And, and there are no human, uh, uh, in, in our country, the health, wealth gospel works because there's enough human reality to health and wealth that it actually, some of them can pull it off. But an impoverished place like India, I have no idea how it perpetuates. The longing is there, but sooner or later you think people would get disillusioned. What is it that we're waiting for? We're waiting for the Lord to fulfill that which he has truly promised us. Abraham had a very specific promise. David had an anointing, very specific. But the general promises of Scripture are not quite as specific, but they're just as glorious and just as wonderful. And God is faithful to all of his children. And the thing that I've learned is many times God, in the midst of not giving us what we think we need, he gives us more of himself. I, I like this illustration. Imagine you're at the amusement park with all your friends, okay? And there's this one ride that everybody wants to go on. And so you get in line with all your friends to go on this ride, and you get this tap on the shoulder. And again, this is all fantasy. It's all imagination. You turn around, and it's the Lord Jesus. And he goes, you're not getting on that ride. I'm not. No, you're, you're, we're going over here. And it's the house of horrors. I don't want to go on that ride. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And so you're sitting next to the Lord, and it's dark, and you can't see him, you can't feel him, and it's horrifying. But in the midst of it, you sense a presence that you've never known before, a closeness. He gives you himself in ways you've never gotten before. And you come out of that ride, and there your friends are all high-fiving, and, oh, that was awesome, wasn't it? And you're quiet. And you're saying, I don't ever want to do that again. But you could not trade what the Lord did in my heart for anything in all the world. He gave me more of himself. He does that. And he calls us to trust him and to wait upon him and see what he'll do. This combination of faith and patience. A number of years ago, 2007, I found that I was no longer felt like I was qualified to be in the gospel ministry. There were issues in my home that I, I believe were disqualifying. So I went to my elders and I told them, and we studied through it. We sought counsel, and the conclusion was I needed to resign from ministry. This had been my church since I was in college. I couldn't imagine leaving the church, and I didn't leave the church. We stayed there, sat on the back row, cried on the way home every Sunday for eight years. It was devastating on so many levels. And I remember I, I worked at the BMW plant the last few years, and I, I remember walking into work every night fighting despair, thinking I'm wasting my life. 
And the one thing I did not ever dare to imagine is God would restore me as a pastor in the same church that I'd been in all those years, and yet he did that. And one of the words, one of the texts in Scripture that he just kept bringing to my mind over and over and over again is 1 Peter 5, 7, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. And that's what's necessary for faith and patience. You humble yourself under his mighty hand. Wait for him to do what he's going to do in your heart, in your life, through that experience. During that time that I was feeling like I was wasting my life inspecting cars for the most entitled drivers on the road, there was actually an article that, that said BMW drivers were that. If you were one, please, I know you're, sure you're an exception. But during that time, my wife suffered a very severe clinical depression. It had some significant physical causes, but it was scary. And she was asking that question, will I ever feel better? Will I ever get hope? And it was during that time that I heard this message on Hebrews chapter 6, and I was desperate for hope. And the Lord did something very unusual in my life because I learned what waiting on the Lord involves. It wasn't a new revelation. It was illumination into what his word already teaches us. I needed to learn. What does it mean? He says, wait on the Lord. Wait, I didn't even know what it meant. And as God began to show me what it means, it produced a new confidence and a new hope and a new patience with him and a new faith. I had to trust God that he had purposes that I couldn't see, and they were better than I could imagine. I didn't dare imagine he'd restore me at Grace Baptist Church, but he did. I'm not asking you, I don't tell you that, say, be an imitator of my faith and patience. I'm not saying that at all. Be imitators of the faith and patience of Abraham and, 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 and David and the others. But I'm saying God proves himself faithful. And at the end of the day, in whatever your wilderness wandering may be, he will teach you that valuable lesson that you're not going to learn when everything's going great. You can trust him, and you can wait for him with confidence. Would you bow with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you that you're faithful to all your promises. So make us men and women who will stand on every promise of your word, Lord, if there are those in this room right now who are in that waiting period, they're in a holding pattern for whatever, and they're wondering if their faith can endure it, and they're wondering if they'll ever find peace and contentment, much less whatever it is their heart longs for, would you assure them, Lord, that you're faithful? Would you assure them that you can be fully trusted and that your timing is perfect and that you're accomplishing good and eternal things, even through that waiting that sometimes seems so very difficult. Make us men and women, Lord, who can emulate the faith of Abraham, willing to trust you when every human indication would tell us otherwise, and who find you faithful even to the very end. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Jamie, for your encouragement from God's word this morning. Would our ushers come forward for the morning offering? And let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we come before you thanking you for this encouragement from your word that we would eat, that we would chew on it, that we would let it ruminate in our mouths as we taste the goodness of what it means to wait on you. And the applications, Lord, as I think about this congregation are innumerable, and it's amazing to see the timeliness of such a message, Lord. So we pray that you would do that, that you would help us to chew and meditate upon your word and to wait. Thank you, God, for your patience with us as we learn to be more like you. Lord, we pray as we come now to a time of giving that we would not look at this time as yet just another part of our service, but a time of response, Lord, as we give back to you a portion of what you have given to us, that we are giving in faith, believing that you provide everything that we possibly would ever need. And Lord, you invite us to give, that you might use these funds for the gospel ministry, for the relief of the poor, for the support of missionaries and the ministry of this church. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your care for us. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to give, not begrudgingly, but with cheerful hearts in response to what you have done. So Lord, give us grace to use these funds for the advancement of what you are doing in and through this church. And we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.